chapter 10, verse 1. At that same time, Yahweh said to me, Carve out for yourself two stone tablets like the first ones and come up from the mountain to me. Also make for yourself a wooden ark, and I will write on the tablets the same words that were on the first tablets you broke. And you must put them into the ark so that I made an ark of acacia wood and carved out the two stone tablets just like the first ones. Then I went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hands, and Yahweh then wrote on the tablets the same words, the Ten Commandments, which he had spoken to you at the mountain from the middle of the fire at the time of the assembly. He gave them to me, and then I turned and went down the mountain and placed the tablets into the ark I had made. They are still there, just as Yahweh commanded. So God decided to begin anew with you. God decided to restore and renew the covenant. Now that's important because that's going to be the constant repetition. And when we get to the prophets, that's exactly what the prophets are going to say over and over and over again. You are an evil, wicked people who violate the covenant. You're going to go into exile because of the covenant. But because God is faithful to his promises and God is a character of love, He's going to bring you out of exile one day renew the covenant. That's the message of God. You're a sinner who violates the law. God's going to punish you. But because of his faithfulness and his character to his promises, he's going to renew the covenant. Now you've sinned against, and now God is going to punish you again. And you have every right to be thrown out of the covenant. But because of his character and his faithfulness to his promises, he's going to renew the covenant. But now you violate it again. And therefore, you're going to be punished. And he has every right to abandon you. But because of his character and his faithfulness to the promises, he's going to renew the covenant. And that is what we are to remember. That is, and you say, wow, this is repetition. Because this is almost the exact words of the first speech. He went through all this history in the first speech. And now he's doing it again. Why? Because he's trying to remind you of who God is. And all throughout the prophets, they're going to talk about an ultimate restoration of Israel, a restoration unlike anything they've ever seen, a return from the exile, where God is going to give them a new heart. And one of the only two reasons that all those prophets give for why God is going to do it is because God has a character of love and faithfulness, and he made promises. It's the only reason. No prophet gives any other reason than those two. Over and over and over again. This is your God. Verse 6, chapter 10. During those days, the Israelites traveled from Beroth, Benikon, to the Masherah, and there Aaron died and was buried, and his son Eleazar became the priest in his place. And from there they traveled to Gadaga, and from Good, um, Good God to Jatabatha. <laughs> A place of flowing streams. At that time, Yahweh set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of Yahweh's covenant, to stand before Yahweh to serve him, and to formulate blessings in his name, as they do to this very day. Therefore, Levi has no allotment of inheritance among the brothers, Yahweh's inheritance. So he's reminding them that Levi has no inheritance because they killed the Shechemites. But the Lord is now their inheritance because he redeemed them and forgave them. As for me, I stayed at the mountain as I did the first time, 40 days and nights, and Yahweh listened to me that time as well and decided not to destroy you. Then he said to me, Get up and set out the leading people so that they may go and possess the land that I promised to give their ancestors. Now Israel, what does Yahweh your God require of you except to revere him or to fear him, to obey all his commandments, and to love him and to serve him with all your mind and being? 
and to keep Yahweh's commandments and statutes that I am giving you today for your own good. So what does God expect of you? To revere him as a God unlike any other God. To obey all of his commandments and to love him. Remember the ultimate motivation for obedience to God is not fearing an angry God punishing you, but having a deep awe and respect for him and a deep love for him. Yes, are you somewhat afraid of a God who can do anything when you sin? Yes. But you don't fear him because you're afraid of his character and punishment. You respect and revere him as a God who is all-powerful and deserves your respect. And because he's a good God, even though he's not a safe God, you're so in love with him. It is easy to obey because we're afraid of being punished. Because we're afraid of getting in trouble. It takes a deep relationship to obey because we trust, respect, and love. And relationships are a lot harder than just simply being afraid of consequences. That's why punishments dealt out by the law are better motivations than loving and respecting your government. Because it takes a lot of work for a government to nurture relationship and to nurture respect. It's a lot easier to just increase the harshness of the punishments. And sometimes that tends to be our default as leaders, as parents. Well, if it's not working, then we'll just increase the grounding or increase the punishment. And I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for that because God's going to do the same thing. Remember, I'm not saying you can't do any of this stuff. God's going to increase the punishments too. But he's also going to increase the punishments with incredible amount of faithfulness and love and devotion and being there for them and saving them and rescuing them because he loves them because he's nurturing a relationship at the same time. This is why you are to obey him. This is your motivation. And I'm doing it for your own good. It's very important that we explain rules. Why do I have a rule? And this is what we try to do at our school. Is, I mean, we're not always good at it because time goes by very quickly and sometimes we forget how often we have to repeat these things. But we try very hard to go through our handbook and our rules and say, this is why we have this rule. This is about loving you and loving others. You may not like the rule. You know you're not fully comprehend it. But trust us, in our experience, when this rule is not there, it leads to dysfunctional lack of love. So here's why. This is what happened when we didn't have the rule. And this is why you put the rule in place. And this is what it's protecting you from that you don't know it's protecting you from because it's generally working. And we need to go through with our people, our children, our students, and we need to explain very thoroughly why this rule maximizes love for them and love for other people, rather than because don't do it. Or we give the absolutes. If you have sex with people, you will get pregnant and have a sexually transmitted disease. Well, yes, that's very possible, but that doesn't happen to everybody. And that's what the kids focus on is the exceptions. There needs to be a much broader thing. There is always consequences whether you get those two things or not. And they're actually sometimes way worse than those two things. And so we need to focus on 
But those consequences are more complicated to explain. The relational ones. And so we need to be good at explaining the rules for your own good. Verse 14, the heavens, indeed, the highest heavens belong to Yahweh your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Once again, he is a God over everything. However, only to your ancestors did he show his loving favor, and he chose you, your descendants, from all peoples as an apparent today. Everything belongs to God, but only you did he make a covenant with. But remember, not because you're special and a beautiful, unique snowflake, but because, well, doggone it, he doesn't give you an answer. God never, ever, ever gives us an answer for why he loves us, why he saves us, or why he chose Israel. It's not important to him. Well, it might be important to him, but it's not important to him to tell us. Maybe it would go to our head because everything else goes to our head. Therefore, cleanse your heart and stop being stubborn. He doesn't say cleanse. Your translations say what? Circumcise. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and stop being stubborn. Now, this is important to understand. Circumcision. This is repeated twice, here and in chapter 30. And this is going to become the foundational theological point for everything in the prophets and the gospels. What does it mean to circumcise your heart? Well, first we need to understand what circumcision is. I'm just going to go through this really quickly. We talked about this with Abraham in chapter 17. Circumcision is when they cut off the excess flesh of the male genitalia. That was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So this is a sign of them becoming the people of God. The male and female genitalia are the only organs in the body that produce toxic waste and the seed of life. It is only from those, that's, every organ produces life or toxins. The genitalia produce both toxins and life. And the idea of what God is saying is he's promising them blessings. The reproductive organs are the most ultimate blessings we're able to produce. The ultimate life. And what God is saying is, if you're not marked by me, if you don't bear my sign, if you don't join my covenant, you will produce toxic waste and death. But if you are marked by me, then you will produce life. And so what he's saying is, you need to cut off that excess flesh and mark yourself by me so that you will produce life. Now, he says, but that's never going to change you. Being a part of the Abrahamic covenant is not going to change you. The Mosaic laws are not going to change you. Because marking yourself physically and obeying external laws, that doesn't change your evil, wicked, hard heart. Because you're going to repent, but you're just going to do it all over again. And that's the point that the prophets are making. So Moses says, you're to obey, but don't worry, you won't. And a day will come when you will go into exile because you need to have your heart circumcised. Because the heart, metaphorically, is the only organ that can produce both life and death. 
Because out of the heart can come great words and desires that build people up and create life. And out of the heart can come some of the most evil, wicked things that we could never possibly imagine, but somebody was able to come up with it. And what God is saying is that that heart is not marked by God. It will always produce death. Because there's a way that seems right to man, but leads to evil and destruction, Proverbs. Proverbs also says the desires of man are evil and wicked. James chapter 1 says the desires of humans lead to sin, and sin leads to death. God does not have a very high opinion of your heart. And remember the heart is the seat of your life, it's the seat of your emotions, it's the seat of your thoughts, and it's the seat of your desire and will. And so what God is saying is that your heart Your emotions, your thoughts, your desires have to be circumcised. You need to cut that fleshly desire out of your heart so that it will be marked by God and that your desires, your emotions, your thoughts will begin to produce life. And that's what Moses says. And he's going to say it again in chapter 30. But then he's going to leave you hanging. And you're going to live through the rest of the First Testament seeing these chosen people who've seen God and experienced God more than anybody else ever has, and they're going to constantly produce death and toxic waste to the point that they're going to pump out more filth than all the nations around them, according to the book of Kings. And you're going to keep asking the question, if the only thing that will change us is a circumcised heart, then where in the world is that circumcised heart going to come? And when? And that, and it's, but the thing is, you're not ready for that yet. Because right now you're still thinking, wow, this is pretty awesome. But you need to wallow and crawl through the filth of Israel's history for a while. You need to see them blessed with everything. You need to see a God who does more for them than anybody else. You need to see them go through every form of government that the world could ever have. Capitalism, republic, democracy, communism, everything. They go through everything in their 700 years. And it all fails. And you need to see them crash and burn and leave a greasy stain over and over and over and over again. And the brightest and the best, the prophets, David, Daniel, Zechariah, they all fail miserably. And once you crawl through that filth and that depression and that sin long enough, then you'll appreciate more the need for a circumcised heart. That's what God is doing. And then you're ready for the prophets. And when the prophets come along, they start talking about that heart. And they come in and Hosea says, God is now ready to give you a new heart. And Jeremiah 31, 31 says, and when he gives you a new heart, he's going to take his law and carve it onto your heart. Which means he's going to carve it into your emotions, carve it into your thoughts, and carve it into your desires. Because he's going to change your heart to look like the law. Because you're not going to need the law anymore. Because he's going to do away with the law. Why is he going to do away with the law? Because the law is now going to be living in you. And the law is going to be so fused and marked into your heart, you don't need the law anymore. You don't need some prophet to tell you what God's will for your life is because God's will for your life is going to be carved into you. 
And that's going to change you. And you're going to have the ability and the desire for the first time ever to actually do what is right. And then Jeremiah, sorry, Ezekiel comes along and says, and how are you going to get this carving on your heart? God is going to pour his spirit out on all people. Now, in the first testament, the spirit only came upon the prophets and never indwelt anybody because the spirit can indwell people who have sin. So he says the only way you can have this new heart is the spirit indwells you. And so then we come along and we ask the question, but how does the spirit come into us if we're sinners? And then the door opens wide open and Jesus walks in the scene and he dies for your sins and purifies you so that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes dwelling into everybody, just like Ezekiel promised. And then the Holy Spirit begins to transform and renew you, just like Romans 12 says. And every single day that you pray, and every single time you read your Bible, and every single time you say, not my will, but your will be done, God, God slowly over time, not all at once, but gradually begins to carve his law into your heart, your desires, your thoughts, and your emotions. So that each day we have the desire and the ability to obey God's law a little bit more. And this circumcision circumcision of heart is happening every single day that you devote yourself to the Christian disciplines. And as you devote yourself to those Christian disciplines, prayer and reading your word and coming here and meditating the word of God, then the Holy Spirit is working in you and circumcising, cutting it off, marking it by God, so that every single day you're producing a little bit more life and a little less death. And eventually one day Christ is going to come back and he's going to redeem you fully, resurrect you, and glorify you into a fully circumcised heart. And you're going to have the ability to finally obey the law because you love him. And you will never, ever, ever feel fear, exile, or punishment ever again. Now, I know that that's a lot, but this is the seed for all that. It is here in Deuteronomy that Moses begins to lay the foundation for the prophets and for the cross and for Pentecost and the second coming when he says, the only thing that's going to change you is a circumcised heart. And then you're going to have to go through the entire Bible to learn what does it take to get a circumcised heart. First, it starts with the death of God himself. And then all that other stuff that I talked about. And that's what Moses said. And he doesn't know all that yet. Moses doesn't know. He just knows that you need it. But he doesn't know all this yet. And so he says, therefore, you need circumcised hearts and you need to stop being stubborn because your biggest problem is your stubbornness, your desire to do what you want to do. For Yahweh your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty awesome God who is unbiased and takes no bribe. God is not choosing you because you've given him something that other people haven't given you. And God is not going to circumcise your heart because you've given him something nobody else has given him. He is the Lord of all things. He doesn't need anything, and you have nothing you can offer him. So everything that he's going to do, including this future circumcision of your heart, has nothing to do with you and only him. He justly treats the orphan and the widow who loves resident foreigners, giving them food and clothing. 
Even when you fail to take care of the foreigners or orphans, he takes care of them. Why does he use that as an example? Because they are the most needy with the least to offer. And God says, those are the people that I target the most. If you think my love is about what you have to offer, then the people that I target the most have the least to offer me. So you must love the resident foreigner because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. Revere Yahweh your God, serve him, be loyal to him, and take oaths only in his name. He is the only one you should praise. He is your God, the one who has done these great and awesome things for you that you have seen. When your ancestors went down to Egypt, they numbered only 70. But now Yahweh your God has made you numerous as the stars of the sky. So this is what he says. You want to know what the sign of a circumcised heart is? It's taking care of the people who are seemingly the most insignificant and have the the least to offer you. When hearts are truly circumcised, they become the heart of God. And the heart of God goes after the neediest people who have the least to offer. That's a sign of a circumcised heart. Because there's nothing that you can gain from charity. And so, if you really want to look like God, take care of the foreigners. Take care of the orphans. Take care of the poor. Remembering that you once were them, and now you're not, because God targeted you, because that's who he loves. And remember, and this is the note that he ends on, and remember that now you are no longer orphans, foreigners, or poor and needy. Now you are as numerous as the stars because God was faithful to honor his promise to Abraham, which means we can now trust him to be faithful to honor his promise to circumcise our hearts.